What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ podcast as we're here to break down UFC Vegas 83 goes down tomorrow inside the UFC Apex course. This fight car was initially supposed to take place over in Shanghai, and uh, there has been no public comment on exactly why this event is not taking place over in Shanghai. But we're here to break this one down for you. Of course, that is a fighter, Pete Rogers Jr., who uh, apparently is a grappler, as, as we see here. As I, I now know that uh, that's, that's what's going on with you, for uh, Pete. So, Pete, how's it going, man? Yeah, what's going on, man? What's going on, everybody? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, I was supposed to fight on January 6th, um, but uh, it, it's been one thing after another. Original opponent fell off, replacements declined. So I told them, I told them, I'm like, just get me something, man. Get me something under the lights. I don't care what it is. So I'm taking a grappling match, three weight, weight, weight classes above my uh, previous weight class. So it's like, whatever. I don't care. Just get me under the lights. Get me something in front of my hometown. Um, you know, combine that with some local grappling tournaments and in hopes of getting back in the cage as a an MMA fighter in February, so uh, just getting the ball rolling again, man. But it, it is frustrating. Welcome, welcome back to local MMA. That's just how it is. <laughs> so, are you saying you're just rolling in this grappling contest in full old dad bod mode? Is that what you're telling me? No, no, no. You know me. I own a gym, <laughs> so I'm going to be training. But the dad strength is going to be real and on full display. But um, yeah, it just probably won't be much of a weight cut for me. It'll just be more like a. Go in there against a heavier guy and um, get some experience. Um, and it is what it is. I mean, it was either that or nothing. So uh, I'm, I'm going out there to get something. Uh, no, I totally get you. When it comes to that, of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in here to the Fight HQ podcast. Of course, if you're uh, watching us here on YouTube, if you can uh, show your support for the channel, uh, subscribe to the channel. Also, be sure to leave a, a thumbs up uh, and hit that notification bell so you know when they, the show is live here on the channel. Of course, I know we're just over 800 subs now over on YouTube, so we appreciate all of that. Of course, appreciate everyone that's taking advantage of the offer that Stochastic has for our listeners. So if you're looking to take advantage of the tools they have over Stochastic, it's something that I, I look at before every car looking at where I can potentially get some leverage uh, on some fights because this is one of those uh, kind of a tough card as I was I was just I was putting together uh, my lineup for the fight HQ contest which I feel like me and Pete talked about last week we feel like we're at a disadvantage in that contest even though my guy Pete finished in fourth place last week in that contest, but uh, it was kind of a little bit of a tough hand build. Uh, speaking about that contest last week, I mentioned about Pete coming in in fourth place over there as I uh, pull up the uh, lineups from last week. Congratulations to JF Braver Man taking down the contest with just get over 500 points. Uh, did have one losing fighter uh, in his lineup uh, in in that one, uh, being uh, um, Jamie Lynn North, who got 35 points, but going with Car Close, Misha Tate, Joaquin Silva, Dyson Figueroa, and Armin Sarukian. Of course, unfortunately for me, uh, I had both Wellington Thurman and Punella Soriano in my lineup, so that did not work out very good for me last week. But uh, that's just that's that's kind of the way things. Uh, uh, full. It's, it's for whatever reason. Every time I put money on Punahou Soriano, it just seems like the guy just craps the bed for me. Yeah, man, what a fall from grace. I mean, like a part of being, you know, being a part of Extreme Couture is something that I hold um, a lot of merit and value in. And it's for whatever reason, his inconsistencies have just basically um, outweighed being a part of a super camp like Extreme Couture and being under the tutelage of Eric Nixick and. I mean, going from possibly having an Achilles heel in the grappling and wrestling department to now being an untrustworthy fighter within the division, it's it, it's quite a fall, you know what I mean? And it's almost like his combinations are so left-hand reliant. It's all power hand, 
there's not, you know, it, there's no numbers behind it. There's no rhythm. There's no tempo. There's nothing. It's just backhand combinations, single shots like a sniper instead of a little bit of volume. And, you know, you know, credit to Dustin Stolzfist got a much needed win for his career. Um, and then uh, Wellington Terman looked amazing. He looked great until he didn't, you know what I mean? And then that's what happens when a primary grappler and wrestler decides to stand and strike and training a little too much with Alex Pereira is going to boost the confidence in that department um, instead of getting back to your bread and butter. I thought he was going to knock out Jared Gooden and it looked like he was on his way to doing so or, or get a TKO win on the mat. And then uh, Gooden hits him with a beautiful Hadagoshi, lands on top, gets some stuff, and then ends up choking him out with a rear naked choke. It's like, what the hell did I just watch? From round to round, the fight game is just crazy. And that's why MMA is the most unpredictable and one of the most yeah. exciting sports out there. And that's why I think every week we try to give you, you know, both sides of how, how that fighter potentially could win that match. Of course, the DraftKings contest is live. My guy Pete already set that one up for you today. It's right here uh, in the description of the show. So you can hop in that contest and join our community over to score. Totally free to join. And uh, just great conversation over there. Not just in terms of mixed martial arts, but also talking a little NBA, uh, college sports, whatnot. I know my guy Pete uh, hopped in. I, I saw him hop in over in that score channel this week. He's like, give me that Miami over 91 and a half and uh yeah I mean you crashed that one thanks man yeah I've been I've been totally targeting the uh the first half and total points for college sports whenever I'm seeing some of these high ranked uh high ranked teams face up against some of these bottom end teams that have no business being in there with them and uh you know I, I saw that and 91 and a half or whatever it was seems like really high score but when you go back and you look at the teams that you know, uh, their opponents have faced and they, they're putting up 80, 70 something against them. It's like, yeah, I think Miami's going to crush. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been doing pretty well. I'm going to, I've been doing pretty well in the NBA prop bets. I'll, I'll start throwing some of my, my plays in there. So, uh, the king can kind of see what I'm playing over there. i more playing more of the prop bets. Uh, did do a little live, uh, live on the bucks last night that did not work out very well as, uh, you know, Pacers boy, they, they may not be able to play defense, but boy, that, that team can, uh, put the, put the ball in the bucket, but we do appreciate everyone tuning in here for this. Let's talk a little bit about game theory. before we start breaking down these fight speed and, uh, you know, to me, the game, theory i think really for me it's and i mean it's a cliche thing to say here but it starts with the main event and co-main event and you you talk about every week on on the show of saying prioritizing underdogs in, in the main event and co-main event and to me like if i'm going to prioritize one of the underdogs in the main event co-main event i'm probably going to prioritize anthony smith more than I would prioritize Chris Gutierrez just because of, you know, I mean, obviously Chris Gutierrez could utilize those legs kicks and really take out the legs of Song Yudong, especially if the fight goes later on, you know, third, fourth, fifth round. But I look at Anthony Smith, and like to me, and I will break this down a little bit later, is there's a clear path to him winning, and to me there's a clear path for him to get over 100 points. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a clear path. It's a really dangerous fight against a streaking Khalil Roundtree, right? Like three-fight win streak for, for Roundtree. Um, you know, Modestus Bukowskis, Carl Roberson, J Dustin Jacoby. And like, I, I think that, you know, Roundtree's somewhat finding himself, whereas Anthony Smith found himself early in the UFC and has been somewhat inconsistent um, of late, you know, coming off a, a nice win over Ryan Spann. Um, Ryan Spann's a very dangerous fighter as well. So the, the first fight, some people said it was a fluke. And then was able to go in there and survive 15 minutes against Ryan Spann. Arguably lost that fight, but 
you know, Anthony Smith just brings a ton of experience in the cage, and I think that's going to be the X factor in this in this matchup against Khalil Roundtree is a guy who has 20 UFC fights going up against the guy who is, you know, pretty one-dimensional Khalil Roundtree. It's just who can execute their game plan to perfection. And uh, for a guy that needs to get it to the mat, Anthony Smith really never been much of a takedown guy. So we're, we're going to have to, you know, throw in hope that something happens and, and some situation lands where, where Anthony Smith can get him to the mat. But, you know, an interesting matchup. And as far as roster construction, I got way more interest in Anthony Smith upsetting Khalil Roundtree than I do uh, Chris Gutierrez upsetting Chris uh, Song Yudong, as you as you mentioned as well. But I don't hate stacking the main event in hopes that it goes five rounds, just because they're both skilled strikers. Uh, Song Yudong could possibly just get leg kicked to oblivion, and that is Chris Gutierrez's path to victory is just stick and move, chop at the legs, and part of a strong camp too. So. I'll have to see where where ownership is on, on some of these underdogs, but if you're going for just a basic, you know, kind of uh, chalky build like a cash build, I wouldn't mind stacking the main event just because it's not a week where I'm in love with a lot of underdogs. Especially when you're talking about eleven fights and the weigh-ins are, are currently going on, so we'll kind of try to keep a, a monitor on that. As a bunch of guys have already, or fighters should say, have already stepped on the scale, and that's kind of the you know usually when, when fighters are always on weight, it's kind of that rush after about the first ten minutes. Or so then we kind of really maybe start to kind of figure out what fighters may or, or may not be on weight. Um, you know, and, and me and you were kind of talking about this is like this is not a fun week for underdogs. Like you know, I no. I look at my spreadsheet here, and, and what I do is I, I color code the salaries. And so in my color code this week, blue is for fighters who are 7,300 and below. Outside of the main event, co-main event, I mean, then you're looking at Sumadarji, Shannon Ross, Steve Garcia, and Carlos Hernandez as the fighters who are 7,300 and below. I look at Garcia and Ross are extreme pump plays for me. They are boom-bust plays. You know, if they can catch their opponent, especially on the Steve Garcia aspect. Of course, this uh, Garcia fight was supposed to play, take place last week. Now it's at 155 pounds. We'll see what weigh-ins looks like between those guys. But, like, there's just not a lot that you love. The The Sumadarji one is an interesting one. It's a it's a matchup at 35. There's some rumblings out there of how much Tim Elliott's really been training uh, before he took this matchup here. I mean, you know, taking this matchup here on fight week. So, I mean, like, but overall, like, there's just not a lot I love when we're talking about pump plays. Yeah, so for pump plays, right, like – let's call it 7,300 and below, excluding the main event and co-main event. Um, you know, I think Steve Garcia and Shannon Ross are basically the same play. I, I think that they are uh, one shot away uh, of, you know, landing a, a finish. Um, but I think it's an unlikely situation. I, I really think it's kind of like an under 10% outcome. It is an MMA fight, so I, I shouldn't really hate on it that much. But I do think that the skill set of their opponents – significantly outweighs what they bring to the table. Like I think that Melky Zayel Costa is much better uh, of an MMA fighter th than Steve Garcia. I've watched Steve Garcia locally, you know, from local scene of Bellator to now to see he's he's in the UFC and he's young, um, you know, and, and he does possess some power, but I, I think it's almost like matchup driven. That's where his success has been. Um, it's just been like, you know, good, good matchups for him to expose his opponents who have terrible striking. Um, you know, and then you have Shannon Ross, a guy who has literally no success, you know, from the contender series to, to the UFC. He's just a guy that I think, I feel like he's good in the training room and I feel like he 
is skilled. It's just the durability does not check out. And, and like he'll be winning a fight, then he'll get hit by a big shot, even if it's against a grappler, and those legs are gone. And, and next thing you know, the fight stopped just because he's so volatile. So I feel like Steve Garcia is less volatile than Shannon Ross and more alive to truly win the fight. Whereas Shannon Ross is, he needs a lot to go right, and he needs to avoid getting touched up on the feet. Uh, even if his opponent is mainly a grappler, he does have big power and pretty si uh, pretty big size for the division. So. I view those guys the same. Sumer Dergi and Carlos Hernandez are interesting. Carlos Hernandez, very skilled fighter, going up up against a very hot prospect. That's a that's a tough task. But Sumer Dergi, you know, going up against anybody on short notice, I think you know represents some value. So I think that as far as the salaries are considered, you look at what Sumer Dergi can do in a situation on a short notice opponent. Training with Song Yudong, I, I think I, I kind of circle his name and boost his boost his exposure for my lineups. Yeah, I mean, it, it's just not a lot. Of, I mean, you look at someone an out in the comment basically saying, how is Shannon Ross still in the UFC? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. You, you talk about losing the contender series. Then he's lost back-to-back -back fights in the UFC with uh, stoppages in the first round. He's just one of those guys that he's tough to trust. But if you're looking for a punt play, I think this week is probably your punting with Shannon Ross or Steve Garcia. But, Pete, let's get right into breaking down these fights. Of course, the main event, key matchup here in the 135-pound division. you got Song Yudong taking on Chris Gutierrez. Song Yudong is... Is a minus 400 betting favorite, plus 300 for Chris Gutierrez over on DraftKings. Uh, Yudong is 9,200. Gutierrez, 7,000. When I was putting my sheet together, I was trying to lock in the FanDuel. Got locked in the FanDuel, but couldn't see what the salaries are. So uh, if uh, I'll, I'll check uh, the salaries here in a little bit here. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, uh, obviously, obviously we all know why Song Yudong is the favorite here. I mean, my only concern in this matchup is what happens if Chris Gutierrez is really just a hammer to those leg kicks and the longer the fight goes, that, that takes ultimate terror on Song Yudong. Yeah, so I was looking at the numbers behind uh, leg kick effectiveness in Song Yudong's fights, and uh, he doesn't really defend all that well leg kicks. Um, his, his opponents have had a decent amount of success against him with leg kicks, and that's something I don't necessarily love seeing, you know, from, you know, Julio Arce, Casey Kenny, Marlon Rice, Corey Sanhagen, Ricky Simone, all these guys, Marlon Vera, they've been able to land a, a large majority of their leg kicks against uh, against Song Yudong. The issue is uh, is the movement in combination with the leg kicks of Chris Gutierrez. How does that result in the score for Song Yudong? I still really like Song Yudong in the matchup. I think that he is one of the best uh, bright spots for this division. I think for the bantamweight division, he brings tons of excitement, tons of power, just skills in all areas, man. Like Team Alpha Male's done a great, great job at getting him um, to develop in his weak areas from wrestling to just everything. He, he's just such a sharp fighter on the rise, and he's a name that I think is going to be around for some time. Um, you know, Ricky Simone is my guy and it takes me a lot to pick against my guys. And, uh, I picked against Ricky Simone in that situation and Song Yudong came through for us. I just wonder from a score standpoint, how does he score in relation to the other 9,000 options out there? Um, you have Chris Gutierrez at 7,000 hasn't really been, hasn't been finished outside of his debut in the UFC against Howney Barcelos via submission in the second round. He has been dropped, and he has been outworked in some fights. Um, but it, I, I really feel like if Song can just solve that leg kick equation, 
close the space with with big combinations. He has a beautiful right hand straight down the middle like a piston. Um, he can also offensively grapple in this situation. And I just think the the development I've seen and the battle tested resume against Corey Sanhagen, Marlon Marias, Julio Arce, Ricky Simone, Casey Kenny. I think has truly prepared Song Yudong for a breakout performance here. I thought that Ricky Simone was the breakout performance. I don't really understand this main event, to be honest. Uh, but it, it is an, a main event. It's a filler. This whole card is kind of like that. Um, but yeah, I, I'm picking Song Yudong. I'm going to have a tremendous amount of ownership towards him. If I'm playing 20 lineups, I'm probably 75% uh, picking Song Yudong. Some of the mat, some of the lineups I may stack just because of my hatred for most of the underdogs on this slate. But uh, I think he's a priority play. Five rounds to work with, could go five rounds break the slate. Could end up finishing Chris Gutierrez inside the distance. But either way, I just think the safety's there. Ninety two hundred for Song Yudong is the play of the day. Yeah, I mean, and this is one of those rare weeks, and we're talking about DraftKings DFS, where we don't have many nine thousand options. We only have four uh, nine thousand options, so I think yeah. that's, you know, that that's me is where you start looking at the ownership, and obviously, Song Yudong is going to have a ton of ownership. Uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit earlier about stacking this fight. You know, and you look at if if this thing, if you think this thing is going to go twenty five minutes and it's primarily going to play on the feed, you you know, Chris Gutierrez could get you those type of points. You, you've you've talked about that game theory for a long time of, of finding these, you know, seven thousand sixty nine sixty eight. Six, seven options that have the ability to go out there. Look over at Prize Picks. Uh, Song Yudong, significant strikes, eighty-five and a half. Fight time, nineteen and three quarters. Fancy score of one fifteen and a half. I'll be honest with you, Pete. I, I don't know if I really love any of those over on Prize Picks. Like, yeah, because they all seem about right. They all seem kind of accurate to me. It's like yeah. you're playing with fire right there and maybe within two points of each of those. So I, I don't necessarily think that there's tremendous value. I feel like they're kind of on point with those numbers. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like when you talk about significant strikes, I mean, I think you probably need, if, if your thought process is, this is going four or five rounds, I, then you go more. I think you definitely smash that more. But if you think this fight's going to be over in, in three or less, I, I just don't know if he hits that number. And, do they have play, a takedown prop on his? They do not. Yeah, there was only uh, there was only three takedown props this week, which was Elliot Costa and uh, Tara. Interesting, because I I think that's a that's a sneaky way for Song Yudong. He doesn't need to. Yeah, I mean the guy loves to strike, but I mean like when a guy's so leg kick heavy, it's very easy to just blast a double leg takedown right there. Um, so that that's just my thinking from a, a coaching perspective. Um, calf kicks are hard to catch, but. I think that song's just going to have his way either way. Let's move over to the co-main event. We got Cleo Roundtree Jr. taking on Anthony Smith. Roundtree is a minus 195 betting pair, plus 165 for Lionheart Smith. Anthony is 7,300 DK, and for Roundtree, he is 8,900. And, uh, you know, I mean, look, Pete, I, I think if you're Anthony Smith, the smart thought process here would be, you know, hey, let, let's try to get this one to the ground. But um, ego can be a son of a bitch. Yeah, it sure can. And, my issue with this fight is obviously the short notice nature for Anthony Smith accepting the fight. Um, I love it when guys have full camps, but um, opportunities knock. And, you know, when there's a lot on the line for, for climbing the rankings, if it's a winnable matchup, you see guys kind of risk it. And that's that's what Anthony Smith is doing here. He talked about it in the media of how he likes this matchup against Khalil Roundtree. And whenever, whenever I hear that, saying somebody likes the matchup, they've 
They've studied the fight and they recognize strengths and weaknesses. He understands that at space, Khalil Roundtree is super, super dangerous. He's a streaking fighter right now, just kind of finding his rhythm and way. I mean, you just had Khalil Roundtree, Roundtree um, you know, out kickbox, one of the best kickboxers in MMA and Dustin Jacoby. It was a close fight, and I still thought Dustin Jacoby won the fight, but it was it was impressive enough, the fact that he can go 15 minutes in a competitive environment. Um, you know, a guy that's super, super dangerous, tons of power. Um, he will punt you to the body if you are the are on the ground. Uh, he, he's just, he's a very, he's a live opponent to, to hurt you on the feet. And I actually think that Anthony Smith has shown a susceptibility to get hurt on the feet, despite his early wins in the UFC where he's going out there and just killing all the legends. You know, he, he was like the legend killer, killing everybody, just sitting there and knocking all of them out. Over time, he's starting to wilt under pressure and, and wilt to, to big shots. But at the same token, how can I say that when he's going up against the guy who is so dangerous in round one in Ryan Spann? And, you know, Anthony Smith has some sneaky angles to his punches. They don't come from, like, you know, the correct necessary fundamental ways like he throws like a an elongated hook off his lead hand that caught ryan span numerous times followed it up with a straight right hand submitted ryan span in round one so him being able to endure ryan span in round one and then rematch him and go 15 minutes with him does give me some faith in his experience alone to make him an intriguing underdog you already know that i hate underdogs this week for the most part we're going to talk about most of of the fights and how I just don't necessarily see a ton of value. Uh, Anthony Smith, I think, is just a value play. Do I like him in the matchup? Not necessarily. But I think that if the fight does somehow get to the mat, he has a significant edge in the jiu-jitsu department over Khalil Roundtree. Roundtree um, can get outworked at times and is a bit of a gasser. Anthony Smith can get outworked um so we need a lot of things to go right because when I look at Anthony Smith's takedown numbers, I mean, he has only attempted more than three takedowns once in the UFC, and that was back in 2016 against Leonardo Augusta uh, Leloco. I don't even know who the hell that is, but he went two of in the takedown department. Three against uh, Johnny Walker. Did land a takedown against Johnny Walker. So, you know, I, I think the path is there. The value is screaming to me with the experience that I'm going to increase my exposure to Anthony Smith. And just because I feel like the odds are a little off, um, given what Anthony Smith has seen in the cage and his strength of schedule, I'm I'm going to slightly lean towards Anthony Smith, but I don't love it. I, I Admittedly, I do not love it. It's mainly a DraftKings play. It's a stay away from betting. It's a stay away from a straight-up pick. But for DraftKings, I'm going to lean towards Anthony Smith. The fight in general just seems a little volatile, so... Whenever there's volatility, I'll somewhat side with the veteran. Yeah, I'll be honest with you. I kind of thought the ownership would be a little higher on Anthony Smith in terms of what we're kind of seeing right now. I mean, and I agree with everything you said there. You know, one of the uh, the podcasts I like to listen to because I, I love college football is the Cover 3 podcast. And they do this thing where they call uh, sprinkles when they're talking about betting. Yeah. 
to me, a sprinkle this week is Anthony Smith wins via submission, which is anywhere the lowest number, the, the lowest I've seen is plus 500 all the way up to plus 600. Like if you want to take a little sprinkle, you know, maybe you want to throw a, a quarter of a unit. I think that's, that could be a little sprinkle this week. That's something that could come in and cash you. But, you know, you do kind of wonder is, you know, if Anthony Smith cannot get this matchup to the ground, you know, how can he potentially win, win this fight? Uh, the fight time over on prize picks is seven and a half minutes. I think I kind of, I feel bad saying this, but I might lean more um, yeah, just because of the durability of Anthony Smith there. Um, but Clear Roundtree also 30 and a half significant strikes. Um, I, I think if you think that this fight is going to stay on the feet and this fight can make it past the seven and a half minute mark, I, I think he probably goes over that 30 and a half uh, as well. I really, the fantasy score 107 and a half. I would rather try to go to the other two uh, on Clue Roundtree here, but uh, I think, and I thought you hit right on the head. We're talking DraftKings and looking for some pump plays this week. Anthony Smith has got to be one of those guys just because of if he does get this matchup to the ground, maybe he catches one of those kicks and he gets to the ground, or, or maybe he, uh, you know, he's able to, you know, get this fight up against the fence and then work the way to the mat there. But, um, you know, that, that Anthony Smith via submission prop is the one that really has stuck out to me this week. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you, it the, the submission skills of Anthony Smith, I think, are so underappreciated in MMA. Like, he's really good. Like, I like he's really good on the mat. Like, I, I'm seeing a lot of technical, technically sound things on the mat. Um, we've seen him put legends, you know, and, you know, in bad positions. Like Alexander Gustafson, he finished him in the fourth round. Like, I mean, Gus fell from grace and and wasn't the same, but still. That was almost so, supposed to be a, you know, an easy cupcake matchup for for Alexander Gustafson to go in there. We've seen him go 15 minutes against Rakic. My issue is how does Anthony Smith deal with his legs getting chopped at and, and leg kicks and all of that at space? At space, he could get butchered and it could just be, oh, let me survive for 15 minutes. But if he says what if he implements what he's saying in the media, the way to beat Khalil Roundtree is pressure. Talking about mental pressure making him work, and also putting him on his back foot, I think we could actually see a correct game plan for Anthony Smith to walk away victorious. I mean, I, I do put some stock in the fact that some guys are analysts now. Like, they, they see things a little bit differently. It's almost tra- like the transition from just being a fighter to being a coach and a fighter. You see things differently in a more uh, in a more articulate manner, and also you can kind of you know derive a game plan around certain you know strengths and weaknesses. It just you can't be a part time fighter. You know what I mean? Like it, you can't yeah. just be an analyst. Like I feel like some guys have all, you know focused all their time on that. It's taken away from being a fighter. We'll have to see. But you know the the experience speaks for itself, and it makes Anthony Smith just a very intriguing underdog that not too many people are going to want to get to. I mean, I, I think you know you can talk about the pros and cons of being an active fighter and also being yeah. an analyst. But I think one of the the pros with it is you're watching so much more fighting than you normally would. I mean, you know, if you're Anthony Smith and you know, let's say, I mean, let's just say there's three UFC events a month, and you know that you've been assigned two of those three events, you're watching. 40 plus fighters because you're trying to, you know, you don't want to sound stupid on air. I mean, let's just call it what it is. You're watching all these fights. So I think that is the plus to it. And, uh, and I'll say this, I don't listen to every episode, but his podcast that he does with Michael Bisming is really good. And just hear those two guys. 
Yeah, to hear those two guys just kind of talk the fight game, you know, it's it's one of those things you just feel like you, you walk away, you know, smarter about the fight game when you, when you listen to it. And, um, you know, obviously a guy that, you know, your, your coach is you, Greg Rebello. I mean, I've had the conversation with Greg, and he's like, he's like, yeah, man, when you're sitting outside that fence, he goes, you just see things from a different perspective. For sure, and that's how it is for me, like, at the gym. I, I, I think, like, I've been coaching since a really young age. Like I, I've always split the the coaching and co- and competitor, um, ever since I was like fifteen. So for me, I'm just accustomed to it. Um, but it's also really helped my development as well. And I'm talking everything from grappling tournaments to, I mean, most fighters are balancing a different job in addition to fighting. Wouldn't you think that like having a job within the field of expertise will help you? Because I mean, I think it does. I mean, you could be over here just you know, operating a forklift, or you could be sitting down watching, you know, MMA fights, learning and seeing things and studying. And, you know, it it just, it comes down to people who obsess over fight film versus just having enough, just having enough to go off of. That's it. Uh, You mentioned a key word there, obsessed. I can't tell you how many times I've heard fighters, whether it's, it's an interview or privately will say like, Hey man, I'm, I'm just obsessed. Like I, to a point, they say sometimes you have to turn the brain off because yeah, you you, you, you're watching it too much and you start to kind of overanalyze some things. Let's do it over next up. We got Hopperos taking on Malarkey. Hopperos is a minus 195 betting fair, plus 165 for Malarkey. Malarkey is 7,500 on DK. Hopperos is 8,700 on DK, Pete. Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, Jamie Malarkey's a guy that I've lost some faith in, if I'm being completely honest. Barely winning a fight over John McDessie, who's an aged veteran in the sport. Um, you know, showing some volatility with his chin from time to time, getting knocked out against Muhammad Naimov, who was a guy that I thought was skilled but should not have beaten him. Um, you know, and Jalen Turner can't really fault him in that situation. It just seems like the chin is always a question mark for Jamie Malarkey because it's his it's his fight IQ. He so he enjoys slugging it out on the feet, and whether it's a lack of head movement or just um, striking defense. The hands don't return to the chin, and he stays there on the center line uh, waiting for a receipt, and his opponents really take advantage of it, catch him on the chin, and he either gets knocked out or loses a round because of it. I think we've seen where in certain matchups, Malarkey can go out there and shine because he's so well-rounded. I was hoping that he was going to go to the takedown well a lot in his previous bout against uh, John McDessie. He only attempted two takedowns. That was his bread and butter coming into the UFC, attempting 15 against Brad Riddell, who's a, an extremely talented striker, 5 of 11 against Farazim, who's another extremely talented striker. Nasrat Hakparast is a, is a tough riddle to solve. I, I think that you know we've seen the power early on from Hakparast, but the, the fight IQ and the well-rounded skill set of, of Nasrat Hakparast over time I mean, the, the loss to Bob, uh, Bobby Green, that's going to happen uh, when, when you get into a competitive striking fight with him. Uh, the Dan Hooker one, getting taken down and out-controlled and, and just, you know, just beaten up in certain positions he should not have been losing to, uh, it could maybe make it Malarkey an intriguing underdog. And anytime Malarkey's he's live to knock people out, he's live to get knocked out. He's a, he's a dog, and he's going to fight. But I actually think that Hawk Prost is just going to be a little too much for him on the outside, uh, too much speed. Um, the this, the opposite stances, I, I think, will throw Malarkey off a little bit. 
And I also think that, you know, the takedown defense for Hawk Prost will be a little bit improved from what we've seen early on in his UFC career. It's not really that crazy for me to predict Hawk Prost to finally find a finish again inside the octagon. But I'm going to be picking Nasrat Hawk Prost here at 8,700 to win a decision. Um, if, if you're going malarkey, it's just based on his work rate at 7,500. Just uh, as Pete was breaking down that fight, I was kind of looking at some of the weigh-in results, and it looks like Chris Gutierrez and Anthony Smith are the only two fighters left to weigh in. So the uh, the weigh-in started about 30 minutes ago. We have had one fighter miss weight. Luana Santos misses weight by three pounds, weighing in at 139 pounds. So we'll monitor that to see if uh, if that fight's going to continue. She's going to continue scratch to cut weight. It. I hope they scratch it. I don't want to see that shit. Uh, <laughs> but I, I don't want to hate on people's payday, but man, oh, man, just – if there was one fight to fall off, can that fight fall off, please? <laughs> Dude, why are you tempting the MMA gods over there? You are just, you're like Don Davis in the PFL. You're just trying to tempt the MMA gods. No, 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 definitely not. I'm just saying, like, well, so so for the large majority of the time, we, we had a high-level success rate for fighters who missed weight. Um, and yeah. fighters that miss weight in women's MMA tend to have a significant advantage. And it could be somewhat strategic, too, when you're going up against a fellow judoka and Stephanie Egger, two high-level judo practitioners. You know Stephanie Egger is going to do everything in her power to try to get the fight to the mat. She's not as good of a striker as Luana Santos. We'll get to that fight. I feel like it's somewhat strategic. I feel like playing that strategy is risky, though, because you don't want to piss off your boss. And, you know, like we've seen fighters miss weight constantly, but I almost feel like it could – like leave a bad taste in, in the UFC's mouth if you do it consistently or I don't know, man. I feel like it's your duty when you sign that contract to to, you know, make weight. So whenever that happens, I'm always kinda like, don't give the UFC a reason and let you go, you know? By the way, uh, I know someone asked earlier about if we had any PFL thoughts. I'll be honest with you, I haven't even looked at the PFL Europe card. Uh, I, it's actually just starting now. I didn't even um, know they had a card today. I'm so involved in <laughs> MMA. I didn't even know they had a card. What are they doing? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is. It looks like to be streaming on the PFL YouTube channel. Come on, guys! Like, how the hell do I not know fights are happening? Or okay, it's on the DAZN. The prelims are on DAZN YouTube channel. I just saw. It's crazy to me. That one out. Like, yeah. if I don't know what's going on, something marketing wise, something social media is off. Well, I'm a busy they, guy, but yeah. I mean, I need to know. You're talking about the Fight HQ channel hasn't even been talking about PFL. What are we talking about here? We can. That could be a really long subject. Yeah, yeah. Let's not open that can, please. Let's, <laughs> we'll be here for three hours. Back on that. Yeah, <laughs> we'll be here for three hours. I'm like, oh, we gotta go. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of thoughts I have there. Uh, let's move over next up. We got a bantamweight matchup here between Tim Elliott and Sue Madarji. Of course, uh, Tim Elliott stuff here on Fight Week to take this matchup. Tim Elliott is a minus one forty betting fair, plus one twenty for Sue Madarji. Madarji seventy one hundred DK, and for Elliott, he is eighty four hundred on DK and. I mean, look, there, there is some, uh, I will say this, there's some rumblings out there about uh, how much Tim Elliott may be in preparation for this one. Obviously not cutting the 125 pounds, but uh, this is one of those situations where, I mean, I, I feel like when you talk about from a salary aspect, Pete, that this is going to be one of those fights that people are going to circle. Yeah, I think you have to circle the fight. It's a volatile fight. And Tim Elliott's a guy that I've labeled untrustworthy. Um, but you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a high-paced fighter. 
who's going to go out there and mix things up. He's so awkward that his nickname is awkward. He goes out there and he 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 switches stances. He bobs his head. He throws really unorthodox combinations. Um, get your hands high, shoots low, chains together, wrestling attacks phenomenally. I mean, like, listen to these numbers, Jason. I'm not going to list all of them, but 6 of 7, 3 of 9, 1 of 10, 12 of 14. There's like five fights I'm looking at right here where he has more than 10 takedowns, which is absolutely insane. The one X factor and the one little asterisk here is that Tim Elliott's taking this on short notice. If this is a full camp fight or even a mid-camp fight, Tim Elliott smashes Sumer Derji, in my opinion. I just think that he's so well-versed that he's going to give a, a one-dimensional striker a ton of fits. Muderji is a long-rangey sniper, um, has impressed in a few of his finishes, but there's also been some spots where we were hoping for him to pick up another finish. Uh, you know, like going 15 minutes with Andre Sugunta, you know, uh, going 15 minutes with Zaruk Adeshev, having great moments against Matt Schnell, but then ultimately getting completely beaten up, had two reversals, one knockdown in that fight, looked like he was on his way to winning until he wasn't, and then he was just completely outworked uh, and, and TKO'd, in, or submitted rather, but basically TKO'd in the second round. S scored 48 in a loss, 50 in a, 50 in a win, but it was a 15-minute decision against Ruk Adeshev. I'm telling you, man, the, the salaries are pretty far off. Whenever you have somebody who's 8,400, you tend to not have him have his opponent at seventy one hundred. You know, doesn't that kind of scream to you, Jason? Where it's just like a little, little bit of a head scratcher. Eighty four hundred to seventy one hundred. There's a significant gap, and the guy who's been training for a fight has been Sumu Derji. And also, if you go in the social media dive, you look. He's been training with Song Yadong um, for the tail end, the the back end of his camp. So, like, you know, training with Song Yadong, who's well-versed on the feet and in the wrestling department, um, sprinkling in some some work at Team Alpha Male, great wrestling camp. All I'm saying is if Tim, Tim Elliott's not 100%, and if he only has five minutes of cardio in him for whatever reason, he's live to get finished here. And he's live to get, you know, hurt on the feet always. Um, but I almost think the the vulnerable way to, to beat Tim Elliott has been what Brandon Royval evidenced. And that's kind of where I lost trust in Tim Elliott, who looked amazing early on against Brandon Royval. But Brandon Royval's turned out to be an absolute stud fighting for the title very soon. But, I mean, Tim Elliott was winning that fight. And then Royval in the second round was able to, to start threatening with some submissions. And Tim Elliott gave up. Tim Elliott, you know, got subbed. And uh, it seemed more like him kind of, you know, giving in to the moment than it was him actually getting, you know, outmaneuvered in that situation. So I'm just saying that there's significant value on a guy who's actually had a full camp in Sumer Derji at 7,100 against just a a little bit of a head scratcher at 8,400 in Tim Elliott. But I, I'll tell you what, man, I, I think this is a smash spot for, for the winner of this fight. Initially, before I kind of dove into you know, a little bit of the, you know, the, the Tim Elliott camp leading up to this fight, it was a Tim Elliott smash spot. So I just don't know if I'm kind of overweighting that that thought process of uh, him not having a full camp um, because I really think that he has the skills to beat Sumer Derji as soon as it hits the mat. I'll mention this Facebook post from uh, Tim Elliott from three days ago. Two practices camp and the phone rings about the load up and head to Vegas. Hashtag company man. Yeah. 
that I that, mean, that I, if you wanted to put in the concerning aspect, that would be the concerning aspect of, you know, I mean, I get trying to get that payday, but you got one guy who's been preparing for this fight for last six to eight weeks and a guy who's been practicing for five days. Yeah. I mean, that's some scary, people live that, in the gym, the but I guess I don't understand what the hell these guys are doing if they're not in the gym. It yeah. makes me, I'll tell you what, all that little, all, that X factor makes me want to get to Sumer Dereji more. It really does. I will say this, the the takedown prop on Tim Elliott price picks at two, the way Tim does takedowns, that's, if you're going to play that, you're going more than two. Yeah. And I don't think Sumer Dereji is that good. So, yeah. like, for me to even think that and, and kind of, like, start questioning my reasoning, like, I thought Tim Elliott, like, could easily win this fight. Easily. There are gaps in skill on the mat between him and Sumer Derji. It's just, you've got to be prepared. And if you're not in shape, flyweights in general seem like they have just a tremendous work rate. I almost think that he can almost outwork himself and he'll be exhausted because he can't maintain his typical pace. Yeah, uh, that's, that's a great point. I mean, and uh, I think on the betting side, if... Uh, if you're watching that first round and you think that maybe the, the gas tank is winding down Tim Elliott, that's where you might want to look at that live betting, Sumadarji. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think overall you got to favor Elliott in the fight matchup, but I think there's there's ways to put it there. Next up, we got Park at Muniz. Muniz, a plus 150. Betting underdog minus 180 for Park. Park is 8,800 DK, and Muniz is 7,400. Like, Pete, I don't feel like it was that long ago that we were looking at Andre Muniz as, like, could this guy be a contender at some point? Yeah, I mean, Andre Muniz is one of the best Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioners in the sport. That's just the reality. I mean, anytime you submit Jacare Souza, you have my attention. Anytime you put Jacare Souza in a compromising grappling situation, you have my attention. He He's just super, super dangerous on the mat. His arm bars are just fantastic. Um, he's a, He has solid takedowns for a jiu-jitsu guy. The issue is he taxes himself so much that I think he can be outworked and he's a little bit predictable. Um, he's so skilled, but like we've seen him kind of fall on hard times between Brennan Allen and Paul Craig. Brennan Allen looking awesome lately. Um, you know, just a well-rounded skill set, bad matchup for him. Uh, Paul Craig, good offensive jiu-jitsu, usually can get put in terrible spots and you know, at middleweight, he was able to re- reverse position, get on top, and start raining down, raining down heavy, heavy strikes and TKOing Andre Muniz. So if you go back and you really like put all of his wins under a microscope, you're like, all right, Bart- Bartosz F- uh, Fabinski don't really hold a lot of merit in that first round finish. Jacare Souza, that's somewhat of a fluke, but I-, I think that's super impressive. Eric Anders, all right, that's impressive to finish him. Uriah Hall, he wasn't able to finish Uriah Hall, and he had four of ten takedowns um, and had ten minutes of control time. So this guy that's also in Antonio Hoyo, who has terrible takedown defense, he had three of seven takedowns, five minutes of control. He's not just a finisher. I feel like that's he puts all his eggs in the finishing basket, and then he taxes himself so much that his cardio depletes significantly. 
and then he's alive to get finished on the feet. I don't think his striking's that good. Uh, he throws in a good left kick. He has some power, but everything really just leaves him if you can defend. I think Junyoung Park is one of the sneakiest fighters for this middleweight division because we've seen him go in there and uh, you know be skilled enough to defend takedowns, get take takedowns himself, um, be in some wars, put on tremendous volume as as we've seen against Dennis Tallulah, Joseph Holmes, uh, even in the the Gregory Rodriguez fight. Uh, Albert Duraev. So, like, this isn't anything new. Jung Young Park knows he has to defend takedowns at all costs, not give up his back, not get in a compromising position. If he does, he needs to get out of there. And then he needs to try to get back to his feet and, and punish Andre Muniz. He got submitted in his debut against Anthony Hernandez, who has some of the best front front headlock series in the in the division. So I don't really hate him for, for losing that bout. That's a tough debut. But ever since then, man, this guy has been just on another level for the division. I'm picking Jung Young Park to, to beat Andre Muniz via TKO in either the second or third round. I think he's going to be in some compromising positions. I hope he survives. I hope he outworks Andre Muniz throughout 15 minutes. But with all that being said, if you're looking for a first-round finisher or, or just a guy who has tremendous finishing upside, Andre Muniz fits that that bill. Like He, he fits that type of profile you're looking for for these 7,000 options, that when they win, they probably score really well. In his in his finishes, he scored 108, 107, and 94. So the, the upside is there, but I think that this is a very tough matchup for him, and I think he's going to lose three in a row. Junyun Park at 8,800, I like him a lot from a, a, a late-round TKO perspective. I was almost I was kind of looking at uh, what is he, Park wins via decision. Um, seeing plus 400 out there. So I mean that that could be if you don't think that finish is going to come maybe when, if that'd be uh you know as I talk about maybe throwing a little sprinkle out there maybe throw a core unit out yep. there but uh, you know it's just I when I was hand building lineups and I kind of got inside that last spot which I want to say I had like ninety one hundred ninety two hundred left and and I was kind of looking at and he was one of those fires I was looking at of whether or not you know it could be a situation if you talk about a one v one situation. Of do you go Hopperos or do you go Park? I like Park better, truthfully. I, I think Park has a little bit more side, a little bit higher volume. Uh, if you if you look at what Hopperos has done, um, you do see that he's on one, two, three, four, five, six decisions in a row, whether he's won or lost them. Whereas, like we we do see the upside in Jung Young Park, who's been able to pick up some submissions, hasn't been able to pick up a TKO in the UFC, so. If I was to to bet a um, a nice prop, I think I would be going with the uh, the TKO prop uh, over uh, um, Andre Muniz. Next up, we got uh, Song Kanan taking on Kevin Josette. Josette is a minus one fifty five betting favorite, plus one thirty four. Song Kanan Kanan seventy seven hundred DK, and Josette is eighty five hundred. And uh, Song Kanan seems to be that underdog that everyone is circling this week, Pete. Yeah, he's like the only guy that I like from an underdog's uh, perspective. Like, I can actually say I like. I think Kevin Jusay, he came through for us um, in his debut. Uh, but that was against, you know, a very, very winnable winnable opponent. Um, going up against Song Kanan, who holds significant experience edge. I think that, you know, just people in general don't think Song Kanan's all that good. And I actually think he's pretty skilled. He's pretty skilled, whereas... Jusay is, you know, 
relatively unproven against Kiefer Crosby. He was able to pick up a first round submission, which was int- which was you know somewhat impressive because UFC debutants don't have high success or, or you know early finish rates. Um, I thought Song Kanan in this matchup. He's twenty and seven. He picked up a very surprising victory against Rolando Bodoya, who I thought was going to beat the hell out of him, and I was wrong. You um, saw him, you know, knock down Ian Gary. He knocked down Rolando Bedoya. He's also knocked down Callan Potter, which isn't really all that impressive. Um, and then other two knockdowns he's had against Aldana and Nash. So I think that there is some sneaky pop behind his punches. It's not even all that sneaky. People just understand that, you know, you can test the chin of him. But, I mean, whenever I have a guy who's holding a significant experience edge over a guy with just one UFC win and relatively green for MMA, you know, I'm just going to be siding with Song Kanan here. I really am. I think that, you know, the the previous fight against Rolando Bedoya was enough to kind of sway me in his direction here, um, you know, and he's matchup specific for, you know, betting and backing. I'm going to be going with Song Kanan here. I think that Kevin Jusset... At 8,500 is probably a leverage play because the field needs an underdog. And I feel like, you know, we're going to have a ton of ownership flock to Song Kanan. But I think it's rightful ownership, truthfully. I just think that he's a better fighter than Kevin Jusset, who's relatively untested. Yeah, I mean, you, you talk about leverage plays of the week. Jusset may be the leverage play of the week. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he is skilled in the grappling department. Um, I think he's there to be hit. I think he comes from a good camp. Possibly they have a good uh, a a good game plan for him. I mean, this is a guy Song Kanan who's fought fellow fighters from the same camp. Um, you know, I just don't. I don't know, man. I I like Song Kanan to win this fight. Yeah, I mean, I'm just you know, I'm just kind of looking over the, this entire fight card, and I'm thinking like, if you think Song Yudong is not going to get enough points in relation to how popular he's going to be owned. Like if you sat there and said, you know what? I'm, I'm starting my lineup with, I'm going leverage and I'm going Anthony Smith and Kevin just to start my, my build. My God, you're going. And, and if those two guys can come through, you, you hit, you hit the rest of your lineup. You hit the other four fighters. You're going to cash. Yeah. I mean, that's just playing the leverage game. I mean, that's tremendous leverage on the field. Um, it's a little too much for me. You know, I probably go one or the other. I think both. I mean, you, you know, who knows all these, like, what was it last week? Freaking underdogs galore. Um, it just, or was it underdogs galore? I think, oh, it yeah, was. I think it was like five underdogs last week came in. It was super strange. I mean, it was still ended up being a winning week. Thanks to, you know, Jalen Turner coming through and Sarukian coming through for me. But like up until that point, I mean, it was mediocre. And I'll tell you what, even the big, uh, even the big favorite, Adolfo Pilato, was getting the hell kicked out of him. Like, and uh, that was against Ihor Potaria, uh, who was a massive underdog in the six thousand range, and it looked like he was on his way to getting a stoppage. So it all comes down to the the referees behind the fights too, because that ref let let it go a little bit. Then uh, you know, Adolfo Pilato was able to to turn the tide, thankfully. Came back and pulled off the I think it was second round TKO finish from the mounted uh, mounted unanswered strikes. But man, oh man, it was a wild card last week. You had six less than eight thousand fighters win last week. Yeah, good. I'm not going to have that build. Just so, just, uh, <laughs> I mean, just you, not. 
I mean, you're talking about last week, Dustin Solfus, Misha Tate, Cody Brundage, I got Misha Tate right. Jared Gooden, Davison Figueredo, and Veronica Hardy. Now, Hardy did not score well at all. She only, no. got, she only got 58 points. I mean, you talk about Paterio, he got 46 points, which kind of, loss. which go in a loss and goes to what you're. The game theory process you've always talked about is can you find that low in salary fighter that what if they get you 45? What if they get you 50 points? And all of a sudden now that bill became so much easier. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it just allows you a unique build, whether they win or lose. I mean, 40 points of 40 points, whether you get a W or an L. I mean, so it's like. I don't, um, I, don't, I don't want 40 points to end up. Yeah, I, know, I don't either. <laughs> I don't either. But if you get 40 points, you need like the other four or five fighters to be beyond 100 points. Um, it can work out. Uh, it's just like I actually think that if, if you have a five-round fighter in Chris Gutierrez who's naturally going to have more ownership than a lot of these significant pump plays just because yeah. of it being a, a – you know. If it goes the distance, it's a it's a stack. Or if it's yeah. just a do enough in a loss in five rounds. So um there there's some interesting builds out there. And uh yeah, Kevin just said it's just not a guy in the mid range that I'm willing to get to when I'm desperate for an underdog. It's it's gonna be Sonkin on. By the way, all you people playing the fight issue contest, all of a sudden don't don't be trying to take my theory here taking Kevin Jusset. <laughs> yeah, is that what you're gonna do, Jace? Listen. I mean, you're going to I took have to fourth wait and last week, you're, you're and I didn't have even have all that great of a lineup. So fourth place, um, it's almost like if you play safe, you might cash because we're over here just playing, playing with our hearts. Exactly. Uh, next up, we got Park taking on Ross here. Ross is a plus four fifty betting underdog. Park is a minus six fifty. Uh, Park ninety five hundred DK. Ross is six seven hundred DK. And, and Pete, I mean, look, obviously, if you're going to put. Um, Shannon, Shannon Ross in your life, you know it's a, a boomer bust play. Yeah, it's definitely a boomer bust play. I think the guy's solid, like as far as like skills are considered, but like durability ain't there. Um, volume even in the UFC hasn't been there for Shannon Ross. So I don't know, man. Like he threw four significant strikes again in his in his debut against Clayton Rodriguez, landed one. Through three significant strikes against Jesus Aguilar, who's primarily a grappler, landed two. Both fights, one fight was done in 59 seconds. The other fight was done in 17 seconds. Kind of hard for me to to, to tout getting behind Shannon Ross. Um, if you go back and you look at his Dana White Contender Series fight, you can see that he does have skills, man. Like I, I, I feel bad for any fighters that fall on hard times and are unable to really show their true, true self. But durability is a thing you need. Good thing going for him is that it's the flyweight division. The bad thing going for him is that it's the flyweight division. He's getting knocked out. So in a division not really known for for you know KO power, if you're getting KO'd in that division, you probably got a chin issue. Maybe you had too many concussions in training or not allowing your body to to heal completely. So uh, I mean, on the flip side, Hyung Sung Park at 9500 flyweight division increased activity, super super high pace. So with a super high pace against a uh, vulnerable and volatile opponent in Shannon Ross, we could see a pretty high score for Hyun Sung Park, who has takedown upside, KO upside, knockdown upside, um, and just pace and volume upside over Shannon Ross. So I, I think the division and the volatility surrounding Shannon Ross make Hyun Sung Park an excellent spend-up option. Um, you know, he, he hasn't really broken through with a great score in his debut against, uh, against Sungguk Choi scored 72. 
But I think Sungu Choi is a better fighter than Shannon Ross. I mean, he did attempt three submissions in that bout. He did attempt three takedowns in that bout. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to back Hyung Sung Park pretty significantly here at 9,500. There's some unknowns surrounding him, but I, I still think that he's a fine play at 95. Yeah, I just can't back Shannon Ross. I mean, I just, you know, just can't back him here. And I think Park is definitely the play here. Next up, of course, we got a match that was supposed to take place last week. Now plays here. Now instead of 45, it's at 55. Costa and Garcia. Costa is 9,000. Steve Garcia is 7,200. Costa minus 275 betting fair, plus 225 for Steve Garcia. And, uh, you know, I think it's kind of like a lot like with the fight before here with Steve Garcia. It's it's a boom bust play if he's able to keep this fight on the feet and, and land one of those punches. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate the Steve Garcia play. I really don't hate the Steve Garcia play at 7,200. I think that Melky Zayel Costa is just better. Uh, truthfully, I think he's a better striker. Uh, he's clearly the better grappler and jiu-jitsu practitioner than Steve Garcia. Uh, lightweight division, um, th- this is a guy in Steve Garcia who's kind of matured throughout his career. I remember when he was fighting in bantamweight division um, against a, a local fighter within my area. Uh, and then he's dabbled between featherweight and lightweight. So, you know, naturally just grown up. Um, but I, I just think like we've seen the Steve Garcia story before. Super susceptible to power shots can also, you know, deliver them as well. So if you don't have a chin, circle Steve Garcia and increase your exposure. I think Melky Zayel Costa is a an equal or possibly better striker than him. Um, I believe Steve Garcia was... He he uh, backed out of the fight last week due to an illness. If I'm if I'm correct on that, yes. uh, so it's just like sometimes when people have bad cuts or just in general, um, you know, when you're at the tail end of your camp, your body is just completely shot and exhausted. That you know you just start being a little bit more susceptible to falling ill. I like Melky's here at thousand. I think he's going to win a decision though. Uh, competitive striking. We'll mix in some takedowns. Uh, live to to finish Steve Garcia on the feet or via submission. Don't hate the the value on Steve Garcia though. Truthfully, I don't hate it, but I'm going to be picking Melky's Iel Costa here at nine thousand and uh, looking at an ownership. Um, kind of high, kind of high in my opinion. I, I mean, I, I don't think that Steve Garcia is that bad of an opponent. Um, and I'm kind of seeing just a little bit too many people flocking to Melky's Iel Costa. You know, I do think he's a he's probably going to get a solid score. Probably 90 points or so. Um, but, yeah, it seems like it could be a, a pivot spot. By the way, uh, Chris Gutierrez has made weight at 136 pounds. And uh, Nolan King over at MMA Junkie is saying that uh, he's being told that Luana Santos is done cutting weight. So she's going to miss weight by three pounds. That leads us to our next matchup of Santos taking on Stephanie Edgar. Edgar, a plus 130 betting underdog, minus 155 for Santos. Santos is 8,600. And for Edgar, it is 7,600. I know we're going to get the question, why do we think we miss weight? Could be a range of things. Um, but uh, how does this kind of affect your thought process, Pete? I just think in general it's difficult for women's MMA fighters to uh, really calculate what their weight's going to be from week to week, month to month. Um, you know, I, I do think that it could be strategic as well. I mean, you're going up against a fellow judoka and Stephanie Yeager. Um, you, you do have Luana Santos coming from a very high-level judo background as well. But if you look at what Stephanie Yeager brings to the table, it's – it's a lot of clinch work leading to throws and top position, and it's kind of hard to hold somebody down when they're 
you know, outweighing you a decent amount. And in women's MMA, that three, four pounds means a lot, man. It means a lot because you already know that there's probably going to be, you know, 15 plus more pounds. Uh, a very frustrating fight to begin with. And the, the fight is difficult to gauge because when you have two grapplers and two judokas going up against each other, they will nullify their takedowns. Or they may just kind of land one on each other and get back to striking range. I think Luana Santos has the better striking, the better hands than Stephanie Stephanie Yeager, who kind of swims her punches and flails. Uh, will look to get the clinch. Um, but if you look at what Stephanie Yeager's done, she's definitely fought better competition, whether she's won or lost. I mean, from Tracy Cortez, uh, Myra Buena Silva, even Aileen Perez, who's actually turned out to be. Uh, a, a, an excellent takedown threat and very, very powerful fighter for the division. You know, it's it's impressive that she's been in there and been able to put together some good performances. But there's also been some bad performances in there where, like, Arena Alexiva, a fighter that I do not think is good, was able to submit her in round one. Uh, Myra Buena Silva, I do think, is solid and very good. So she was able to submit her. I don't hate her for that. But, like, even the Tracy Cortez fight, where Tracy Cortez has saw, like very solid wrestling, she was just able to kind of nullify the the takedown attempts, stay in top position, have like ten minutes of control time, and was able to to win a decision. That's kind of my fear here is that this goes fifteen minutes. It's not a priority play. I kind of hope that the fight is something I don't have to worry about. But also, if if the fight is scratched, then it's going to lead to more chalky builds. So I almost want people to flock to this fight i don't hate stephanie yeager from a value standpoint and it's women's mma just anytime that you're a little torn on fights you can just increase your exposure to women's mma underdogs i get it i do still side with luana santos i hope she didn't have a bad weight cut and i hope that there isn't a lingering injury or something behind the scenes that i don't know about but i just think that she's just a little bit better on the feet than stephanie yeager and then, like, I don't think Edgar can put her in compromising positions as she's done to her fellow opponents. So, give me Luana Santos via point. So, I think she's going to win a decision. Um, but, again, like, if I'm playing 150 or even a 20 max, I think, like, an underdog in a volatile fight, Stephanie Edgar's fine. I think that she's just fine. La labeled okay. She's just the value play for me. No, nah, I get you in terms of that. Next up, we got Tara and Hernandez. Tara is a minus 650 betting favorite. Plus 450 for Hernandez. Tara is 9,400. DK 6,800 for Hernandez. And, uh, you know, Pete, I think really the question of this fight is, can Carlos Hernandez keep Tatsuya Tara off his back? I'll tell you what, man. I, I like any of the guys coming from uh, Valley Flow Striking. And uh, my, my buddy Mike Valley is, you know, putting together a very good team over there. And uh, Carlos Hernandez is a guy – just because I'm friends with Mike and train with Mike that I'm going to increase exposure to from an absolute punt play, I think Tetsuro Tyra is clearly a prospect within the division. Um, some of the matchups that he's been in, I think he's made them a little bit more difficult than they need to be. But like, if you go back and you watch Carlos Hernandez's fight against uh, Alan Nascimento, how can you have a ton of confidence in him to go out there and avoid the compromising positions that Tetsuro Tyra is going to put him in? Tatsuro Tyra is an excellent takedown threat, an excellent backpacker, um, very control-oriented, but also uh, his skills are developing. And I, I think that he is on the on the up. 
and clearly a fighter that should be fighting ranked opposition. This fight kind of makes no sense to me, in my opinion. It's too much of a risk for Carlos Hernandez's career, and it's not much of a jump for Tatsuro Tyra when he's undefeated in the UFC and looking like a guy who should be contending within the next several years. So, like, Carlos Hernandez can win this fight by sticking and moving on the outside. If Tatsuro Tyra shoots, shoots takedowns, fight for underhooks like hell, avoid clinching up, stay on the outside, strike, move, look to win a decision, because I do not think you're going to finish Tatsuro Tyra despite Tyra being in, being dropped once, being put in a guillotine once. I just think that eventually Tatsuro is going to get his hands on Carlos Hernandez and either ragdoll him for 15, backpack him for 15, or submit him. So it's a tall task. It's a tough task. But maybe Hernandez does enough in a loss if it goes 15 minutes. But my projection is that Tatsuro Tyra finds the finish uh, in the second round via submission, uh, via rear naked choke. That's why over on Prize Picks, I think one of the plays uh, that I would probably put as a core play is actually less than 12 and a half fight time minutes there on Tyra. Yeah. Then our first fight of the night, we got a matchup between Amanda and Alan Carr. Alan Carr plus 140, minus 174. Amanda, Amanda, A300 on TK and 7,900 for Alcantara. Yeah, so I mean, women's MMA naturally just, you know, increase your exposure to the underdog. But I'll tell you what, like, oh. I was I, I saw these names and I'm like, all right, why do I remember these names? And it's because I bet on Alan Carr on, on Dana White's contender series and she blew it for me because um I I had her multiple ways, either a part of her parlay and then I had her inside the distance. And she's such a such a dangerous uh Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner that she kind of overworked herself. My fear, similar to what Tim Elliott's going to do in this Sumer Derji matchup if he doesn't have good cardio for it. Um you know, she she took the fight on relative short notice for the opportunity on Dana White's contender series. Um, you know, just high work rate with a wrestling who it, which isn't that good, but her her transitions and her Brazilian Jiu Jitsu is very very good. Um, and then she was going up against basically a pure striker, and that pure striker was able to uh, reverse position, stand up, make her work, make her strike, and then just completely turned her into a guard puller. Which against Ryan Amanda Ryan uh, Dos Santos or she has like seven names, but Ryan I I think that she's very very good, and when you can go fifteen minutes against um when you can go fifteen minutes against uh, what's her, what's the girl's name I'm trying to draw a blank uh the girl who's been knocking everybody out <laughs> one moment she went in there and she went fifteen minutes. Against Denise Gomes, Denise Gomes. Thank goodness I was able to find that. It's impressive for me because that was a dogfight. That was a war. She even impressed Dana White in that matchup, and then it absolutely dominated a fighter who's you know solid in all areas and Jillian DeCourcy on the regional scene. Uh, I think that just from a stylistic perspective, she's the better striker. Um, so I'm going to be backing Ryan Dos Santos here pretty significantly. Despite the armbar threat that Talita Alencar brings to the table, despite the jiu-jitsu finishing potential that she brings to the table, I think that Ryan can do enough to defend the situations, defend the attacks, maintain in top position or in better position, sprawl and brawl. And uh, I'm going to say like a, a bold call. I think that Ryan Dos Santos finishes Talita Alencar via strikes. I, I think that she's going to just beat the hell out of her, to be honest. I, I think that. Um, I'm seeing a one-dimensional grappler who's 
relatively untested outside that Dana White's contender series fight, going up against a, a fighter in Ryan Dos Santos, who has a significant experience edge in MMA. So give me uh give me Ryan here at eighty three hundred as a a little bit of a, a unique play for me. Um, but I, I like her quite a bit. Yeah, and if you like her to go out there and get a finish on prize picks, her fantasy score is 70 and a half. So if you think she's going to go out there and get a finish, that will definitely be a more play there. Let's get right into our straight up fight picks the main event. I will go with the favorite in Song Yudong. Yeah, Song Yudong for me. I don't feel good about this, but give me underdog number one, Anthony Smith. Yeah, I don't know what to say. So, like for DraftKings, it's an Anthony Smith play. As far as straight up picks. I guess I'll still go Khalil Roundtree. But you you guys know what I mean by that. So yeah. I, I, I'll i stick with Khalil for the straight-up pick. Uh, give me Nasrat Hopras. Yeah. yeah, I'm going to go Nasrat Hoprost. I don't feel good saying this, but I'm going to say Tim Elliott just because I think he's a more skilled fighter. Similar situation to the other one. So um, I guess I'm going to still say Tim Elliott despite all my concerns. Yeah, my, my biggest concern is just the, the short notice aspect of this. Uh, I'll go uh, Jung Young Park. Yeah, Jung Young Park for me as well. DFS wise, Kevin just said is kind of going to be a, a leverage play for me, but I think Song Kanon pulls this one off. Yeah, I like Song Kanon. Uh, I would go Park against Ross. Young Sung Park for me. Give me Costa. Milky Zayel Costa for me. I'll go Santos. Santos, hope the fight gets scratched. <laughs> Give me Tara. Yeah, Tattoo Retire for me. Oh, man. Again, I'll go Ryan in the opening fight. Ryan, let's go. Come on, Ryan. I mean, I, I'll tell you what. That that fight where she was tested on the Contender Series against Denise Gomes really proved a lot. I'm like, man, not too many people are surviving Denise Gomes nowadays, and uh, she looked damn good. Uh, in terms of, of price picks, uh, some leans I like. I would say uh, more than seven and a half fight time minutes on Khalil Roundtree. Uh, I will say more than two takedowns for Tim Elliott. Uh, give me the uh, a lean on the Kevin just set more than 13 and a half fight time minutes because I think it's probably going 15 minutes. Yep. Um, and then uh, the under 12 and a half fight time minutes on Tara. And then I would say the more than 70 and a half fantasy score on, on Rihanna. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think some of those are, are definitely playable. Let me uh, go over to just score because I know there was a couple of questions that came in there. Uh, let's see here. Park or Tyra? Um, and And... It seems like you saw about Jung Young Park here in terms of these two. I definitely think the safer play is Tatsu Tyra, clearly. I mean, you're talking about a prospect. Um, from a score perspective, though, I think there is a, a conversation there that it could be close. And because, you know, whenever you leave salary on the table, um, in that one-for-one -one type of situation, it does make Jung Young Park a little bit more interesting. Um, you know, and if, if you're looking to take down a, a tournament by yourself or split with less people, Leaving just a little bit of salary on the table makes it unique enough. So I think it's very, very close. Um, but I'm going to go with Jung Young Park, truthfully. Uh, next question uh, says value plays underneath AK on DK. Core three plays on DraftKings and FanDuel cheapies. I just once again try to log in in the FanDuel, and once again, I still cannot get these salaries on it. So um, once I'll be able to see the salaries, I can answer that question there in Discord. Uh, value, plays, value plays underneath AK. 
main event, co-main event underdogs. Um, yep. We don't have an 8,800 8, fight this week, so it's kind of it's kind of making that pick them, you know, where it's just very easy to, to get to that 8,000 fighter. It's just non-existent. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, like, underneath AK, I mean, Song Kanong is so popular right now. Like. Could be good chalk, though. Could be, could be, could be potentially good. But it chalk. could it could be good chalk to win, but bad chalk as far as a score. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, I mean, in terms of like core plays, um, I think I would put Tyra at the top of my list. Hung Sung Park, I think, would be another. I mean, as in two high end options, they would probably be at the top of the list. It's Song Yudong for me. I'll get you on that one. Uh, best leverage play, no questions. Kevin just said, right? As as we sit here right now, obviously that can change. Uh, best takedown upside, Tim Elliott. Yeah, I mean, if Tim is in shape, um, Tim Elliott clearly has the best. Um, Tetsu, well, Tetsu retire was probably one. Tim Elliott too, uh, but pound for pound, Elliott's a great value play for takedowns. Uh, ranking the 9K options. So we've got uh, Tara, Kasa, Hunsung Park, and Song Yudong. I mean, I think you have to go. Going. I think you have to go Song just because of the five round nature at number one. Yeah, that's how I'm. I'm viewing it. Um, I'm going Song one. I'm going Tyra two. He's a little bit more tested, even though. Uh, do I want to go Tyra? Or do I want to go Hyung Sung Park? It comes down to. Tatsuo Tyra is more tested. Hyung Sung Park is in a softball matchup, you know. So it's like, it's almost like they're they're equal plays. Um, Melky Zayel Costa is the worst one, but he's still a good play. I like all nine thousand options this week. Yeah, um, and uh, just go through the YouTube chat. Make sure I didn't miss anything. Uh, and someone asked about PFL. I have not paid attention with the, the price uh, PFL at all. Um, a lot of the problem with that is it's. The fights are uh, not available here in the United States unless something has changed. I know the prelims are, are over there, but um, but in terms of the main card, I believe the main card is not streamed in the U.S., which is bizarre. Completely idiotic. <laughs> um, yeah. But, hey, thank you guys for tuning into the show. We're not done just yet. We're going to answer a few more questions, but thanks for tuning in. Um, got a couple friends in chat. Always chiming in. Always appreciate that. If everybody can just hit that like button and help us get over 100 likes for the video, if you know some people that are interested in, in MMA and fighting content, if you can share our videos, that'd be extremely helpful, and uh, we'd be thankful for that. Help us get those subscribers up, slowly growing. Um, but you know the community's great. If you haven't joined our free Discord, please click the link in the in the bio, and uh, you can always talk the fight game in there. There's always people in there to to, to engage with. Yeah, you know, and Peach just, you know, will give you some of his plays that he likes in there. And uh, I will say this, uh, there, there are some NBA plays I like tonight. I'll, I'll throw those over to Discord as well. I mean, but, uh, you know, look, I think it's going to be, we'll, we'll see if Santos Negger ultimately does happen. Um, I would My guess is the fight probably does happen, but it doesn't really have much of, of an effect on me in, in terms of, of my line of construction. And, uh, you know, I think uh, in, in cash contests, I think that uh, Yadong and Gutierrez, you know, you know, stacking that fight will probably be a popular play, especially where I mean we're at eleven fights already. Yeah, I'm with you. I think it's going to be a popular play, but it's all ultimately a safe construction, um, especially if you think like you know it does touch the later rounds. So I'm not against it, man. I mean, I think like Chris Gutierrez is damn good. He has been knocked down. He is a part of a good camp. 
can he survive the power? It could just be a twenty-five minute kickboxing contest, but you know, yeah. and if it is that 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 chalky build will definitely um, will definitely help you get to some of the studs you want. That's my concern. Gutierrez is he just doesn't have that knockout that that ability to finish the fight the way Song Yudong can finish the fight. That's what correct, and that's what. I mean, that, that's the, to me the one thing that scares me about stacking that fight is what if Song Yudong just lights him up and and the fight's over in eight minutes. Yeah, I know that's the thing. That's that's the risk we play with stacking. And uh, are there any other fights you would stack? And that's just the question I'm saying to myself. Generally, the question is no. Uh, the answer is no, rather. Um, but you have to have tremendous value in order to do so. I don't see a fight that I would. You know, it could be, let's say Tim Elliott is just in horrible shape, has yeah. round one from hell, goes out there, lands like eight takedowns or something stupid, which is totally possible. Yeah. And then just gets finished in the second or third round. That would be uh, a unique stack. When you said that, as I was just looking down my, my spreadsheet here, the Elliot Madarji fight was the one that I looked at just thinking, you know, Tim Elliott just chains, takedowns, racks up a bunch of points there. Madarji able to survive, gets it to round three, and, and you get some points on both sides of the equation there. I'll tell you what, I've done dumber shit, and I bet money on dumber things. So I might just do that. So, I mean, you don't really got to convince me. So maybe I will do that little stupid build, but. I mean, it, the logic behind it, anytime you think somebody's going to have early success and then have a uh, a cardio collapse as the fight goes on, it's definitely live. But you also run the risk of getting solo single points out of one of your fighters. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I was just kind of taking another peek at ownership here of seeing, you know, outside Kevin just set the, the leverage place. I mean, there's not anybody else that really sticks out to me. Is like, I mean, Anthony Smith is a leverage play, but I just think I think he's going to be more popular than what we're seeing projections right now. Yeah, I mean, any for the most part, six thousand six thousand salary fighters are always going to be leverage plays, but they're they're in that dart throw category because they're big underdogs. But whenever you have a favorite who's mid priced in the eight thousand range at bottom of the barrel ownership. It, it screams, it it screams leverage, and that's where yeah. Jusset's kind of laying right there. Yeah, I mean that that's I mean, if you're playing, if you're playing in a bigger contest, and you're not, you know, you're not putting, you know, entries upon entries upon entries in, that's where you have to use your ownership projections as the how do I separate myself from the field when. Maybe you don't have the bankroll to, you know. Let's just say, let's just say it's a 150 lineups in right. max entry, and, and let's just say you only have the bankroll to put 50 lineups in. You know, sit there and you know look at look at someone like a Kevin Jusset and say, okay, how you know, let me get over the field on him, but not get crazy either. That's a balance that I struggle with sometimes because when I see stuff like that. And my eyes light up. It's like a green light. And sometimes you lock them in. You get a little too aggressive. And they were a bad play and for a reason. You know what I mean? But also a lot of times that you you know, you know can be on the correct end of it. It's just timing. It's timing. And fighting in MMA in general, whenever you're talking about leverage, just increase your exposure. It's, it's a crazy sport that we're in. 
tell you, when you lock in that one fighter and you got about 100%, that fight starts, you're you're on the edge of that seat going, oh, this is, this is you're going to make my night or in my night? Yes, sir. It's quite the rush, uh, but it, it's fun. But that's why we're, you know, play with your brain a little yeah. bit and, and not your heart. But, of course, we appreciate everyone tuning in for this episode of the Fight HQ Podcast. Of course, we'll be here next week as we've got UFC 296, which will be the final UFC event of the year. Of course, Colby Covington, Leon Edwards. The main event, also, you got uh, Pantoja and Roy Val. did come out this week. Uh, that brand, uh, Bram Moreno will be the backup fighter for that matchup. So, be looking forward to breaking that one down next week. Pete, of course, as always, uh, be sure to smash that thumbs up button, subscribe to the channel, or if you listen to us on the podcasting platforms, uh, be sure to leave us a five star rating review. We very much appreciate it. That's going to do it for this edition of the Fight HQ Podcast. Fight.